Investing in Australian shares wasn't an absolute disaster in 2023. By and large, you will have made some sort of return, but you would have done better in America. You would have done particularly well if you'd stuck with the Magnificent Seven. So does the same apply for this year? As rates come down slower than in the United States and with an uncertain future for China, what's the strategy for investing in Australian shares this year? That's this week. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. So over the last year, we've seen the S&P 500 climb 22%. The Nasdaq has jumped by more than one third, 35%. Over the last year, the ASX 200 climbed uh, (laughs) 0.3%. So uh, what about this year? Rinse and repeat? I mean, could we actually do with another 35% added to the Nasdaq? Could that happen? Uh, Or would we be better off putting our money into Aussie shares? Because there's got to be some room for growth, some room to catch up, hasn't there? Uh, Well, let's talk to Gemma Dale, Director of uh, Self-Managed Super Funds and Investor Behaviour at NAB Trade. Welcome back, Gemma. It is the impossible question. (laughs) Is it going to be a better year for, for Aussie shares this year? Uh, look, it wasn't a terrible year last year. It was okay. Mm. It was fine. Well, it was better and than Europe. We, it was definitely better than Europe, better than China. Uh, <laughs> 2009 <laughs> lows, good times if you're in the Chinese market. Uh, the one thing we always forget to talk about with the Australian market, and I can talk to it with great confidence because I know our investors care about it so much more than other things, is the dividend yield is extraordinary, yeah. right? And you're talking sort of around 6% for the total market, which is crazy. And then you add franking credits on top of that. So the total return is way better than it looks. But if you put that to one side, yeah, it wasn't quite as flash as the S&P 500, nowhere near as flash as the Nasdaq. No, but I mean, that is a good point, isn't it? You know, in, t- in uncertain times, look for the dividends. And our guys do. You know, and not even in uncertain mm. times. In all times, they're always looking for the dividend. And it's such a such a, an anomaly of the Australian market, but... All the corporates are fully aware of this. If you're a board, you know that part of your job is ensuring that if you are making a profit, you will need to pay some of that back to your shareholder base. And that's how we roll. Here. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not just Australia, of course. Is it? There's other countries which are, you know, dividends are important. But certainly in the United States, that is not the case where it's very much driven by the increase in share price. But I mean, that has not been across the board, has it, in the United States? I mean, if you take out the Magnificent Seven, then, you know, it's not been such a, a great year. And then you look at the Magnificent Seven and you go, well, okay, how much of this is being driven by AI and how much of that is being overhyped? Are we on the verge of another dot-com bomb that's about to happen again? There's so many unanswered questions about all of it this. Is, look, I agree. <laughs> Very much unanswered questions. It is absolutely incredible. So the Russell 2000, so the S&P 500 is sort mm. of 80% of the market cap anyway, right? So the 2000 is sort of the rats and mice at the end, but it's still in a bear market. Like it's a full 20% lower than I mean, we've got the S&P 500 making new highs daily at the moment. It's just an extraordinary situation. As you say, it's down to a handful of stocks uh, and even they're getting patchier. You know, so it was Microsoft and NVIDIA so far this year are more than 50% of the gain of the market so far this year. We're only one month in. So it's it's an extraordinary time. It does remind some of us of the dot-com boom slash bubble. 
<laughs> a little bit, but you couldn't have said that, you know, six months ago and it's still going, right? So that's always the challenge of the market is it can always prove you wrong for way longer than you want it to. <laughs> way yeah. longer. Way longer. All right. Well, what about the uh, the difference between US shares and Australia then? So just before we started talking, I saw a survey from a brokerage in the UK, Interactive Investor, asking people where they're going to be putting their money this year, whether they're going to be putting it into bonds, into shares, domestic shares in the UK, or into international shares. Uh, choose one. 60% said they were putting it into international shares. And I wonder whether it's going to be the same in Australia, because the US has been doing so well. People think, well, okay, that's where the opportunity is. Or do we think that, you know, maybe Australia will bounce back a bit and it's time to pull back some more money and put it into domestic shares? Where's the money going to head this year? Yeah, that's super interesting. We You can invest internationally by the NAB trade platform. So we actually do see flows, which is quite helpful. And then we also see flows uh, into ETFs, which five years ago were like 4% of the book and were not a particularly big deal and are now well over 10% of our holdings and of sort of volume going through the platform. So they're a very significant way that investors now make investing decisions. But the vast majority of ETFs still start with the ASX 200. So most people go domestic before they go international. But we've seen a continuous uplift in international over time. And there hasn't been a dramatic shift in that with the change in the market, which is quite interesting. So when the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 fell off a cliff a year and a half ago, there was not a massive flood in or a massive pull out. It's just been a fairly consistent trend of people building their international exposure. And that's partly because we just have massive home bias in Australia, far more than most markets. Again, because people really love their dividends and they like companies that they're really familiar with, but they have been over time trying to build their international exposure. It's just consistent. It's not particularly dominated by market news, which is interesting. Well, we know interest rates are coming down. We know inflation hopefully is tame. We're seeing bond yields falling. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a positive year for shares, mm-hmm. surely, this year, hasn't it? Unless there's some unforeseen downturn in the economy mm-hmm. uh, or you know, perhaps a bigger opportunity in another <laughs> asset class. But, I mean, generally... Uh, this year's got to be better than last year, hasn't it? We're talking about Aussie. Let's talk about Aussie shares. Okay, let's talk about it at home. Look, the you know, the Australian market is dominated by two sectors. And if you get those two sectors wrong, as a retail investor, you're good. It doesn't really matter. You're not trying to beat a benchmark. It's fine. What you care about is what you take home at the end of the day. But if you are a professional and you get paid by whether or not you can beat the benchmark, and that's what dominates your flows, uh, you have to pick financials, which have a very specific exposure to interest rates, far more so than the rest of the economy. And you have to pick materials which tend not to be dominated by domestic economic factors. So they're the two things you have to get right. And then there's all the other sectors which you can kind of add up and try to get some alpha from. But it's fascinating to me the way that professionals have two things to get right, basically. And for retail investors, they tend to be overweight, those two sectors. They have huge exposure to banks, domestic banks, and they have huge exposure to materials. Everyone's got BHB, everyone. Uh, so, you know, they've got so much exposure to these two things and they're much less dominated by domestic economic factors, certainly on the materials side, yeah. than something like consumer discretionary, right? So you're kind of not as worried about the macro factors as you think you might be. But you would be if you're in materials. You'd be worried about what's going to happen in China, obviously. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Yes. (laughs) So not domestic economic factors, but you are very concerned about the Chinese. But oddly, the iron ore price has been rallying 
and then holding and it had, everyone's like, oh, it's had a pullback. I'm like, sure, but it came off, you know, really strongly sort of like a big strong rally through the end of the year, much like the Santa rally in equities. And then it came back a little bit. It's still looking pretty nice. It's certainly much nicer than treasury forecast. So, you know, that's extraordinary when you can see the weakness in the Chinese economy and also particularly housing and property in China. The iron ore price seems to be Yeah, up. holding up, absolutely. But And yet we're not seeing the green shoots, are we? You know, it, there's nothing there to say things are looking good. I mean, all the news seems to be bad lately yes. from China. Shocking news, shocking, 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 and not the bazooka stimulus everyone's been hoping for for, you know, 12 months now. Yeah, we've been talking about it for such a long time. We didn't get the reopening. We didn't get the bazooka stimulus. And yet iron ore is holding up. It seems quite extraordinary to me, but it's holding and you just, do you want to bet against it? That's always the question, right? Are you going to bet against it or are you going to go, ah, oh, I don't know about this one. I'm just going to have some exposure and hope it stays high. So what about other sectors then? Uh, like, for example, retail. So we know that the government now is wanting to change its approach when it comes to tax cuts. So they want to favour lower and middle income earners. So that hopefully will mean that they've got more money to spend. And then presumably you'd assume logic would determine that that's going to find its way into the retail sector. So that's got to be a good opportunity, hasn't it? Yeah, that's really interesting. So tax cuts uh, for anyone who's not been following, uh, <laughs> and I think that no one was following for a while because they are legislated. There are currently tax cuts legislated for the 1st of July uh, by the previous government and there was a commitment to keep them, um, but they're very much tailored to the top end because there were previous cuts for the lower end. Now it's like, look, we're going to scale them back for the top end. There's still something for the top end. We're going to scale them back and then give more to the middle. That's the story today. There's no draft legislation or anything. And that would be quite interesting. It's very much cost of living stuff, which is global. It's not unique to Australia, but clearly some political pressure to kind of do something about that. When you look at the consumer discretionary sector in Australia, the largest player is West Farmers, which is a conglomerate of all sorts of things, right? They've got a lithium mine, they've got all sorts of stuff going on, but Kmart and Bunnings are the two big ones in there that most people go, if there's some relief for the consumer, you expect those two stocks to do well, right? Well, sorry, those two parts of the business to do well. But then you look at the rest of the consumer discretionary sector, travel is in there, you've got your flight centres and your webjet and so on. They've had pretty extraordinary year on reopening, right? Yeah. You look at- Bizarre, in fact, isn't it? Everyone's <laughs> everyone's supposedly short of cash. Yes. And yeah, everyone's managing to have an overseas holiday. And we, you know, we've seen the impact on inflation on airfares because of that, because the demand's been so strong. Incredible, right? Travel will be one of the sectors, you know, at the beginning of last year, when we're all saying the economy is about to fall off a cliff, everything's going to be dreadful. Australians in particular aren't going to be able to meet their mortgage repayments. This is all going to be horrendous. You would not have put your money into travel. And yet they've had an incredible year, right? It's amazing. JB Hi-Fi is another one that's very discretionary. It was up 20% last year or year on year anyway. Like that's kind of amazing. So the consumer discretionary sector has a lot of different elements to it. The other is gaming. So uh, there is always the, you know, there's obviously legislative components to that, but certainly there is longstanding evidence that when people have less money, they're more likely to 
put a bit of money through the pokies hoping for a win, right, and make things, you know, so you kind of go across this <laughs> whole sector. Who, yeah, I know. Uh, across the whole sector, there's a lot of different ways this could play out. And I'm not 100% confident that it is a sector play. It would be more stock specific, right? There's a lot of things in there that could do extremely well and a lot of things that could come under pressure and the tax relief might not be enough. Mm, yeah. Might not be enough. Well, we'll see, won't we? So what about health then? Uh, there's always demand for health, isn't there? And if I look at uh, year to date, okay, it's only a few weeks so far, but health technology seems to be leading the way uh, in Australian shares. Uh, but of course, last year, if we look at, at the, the, the health sector, it was a disaster of a year. Well, last year was dreadful. And a good chunk of that was the whole Ozempic news and everyone going, well, anything that is in the health space related to obesity is now dead in the water, right? So ResMed got sold off dramatically and CSL took a massive hit too. And because the sector's pretty small, it's only a handful of stocks that you're kind of going to move the market with, those two getting punished really hurt. CSL's coming back, coming back. ResMed's come back a bit. It certainly hasn't made new highs by any means. I think a lot of the bad news was a bit overdone, and so there's real potential for them to do better. The one that is totally under the radar is Cochlea, which is a gorgeous Australian company that does really, really good things in the world, and it has had an absolute blind. It's actually more expensive than CSL now, despite being at $190 like a year and a half ago. So it's done unbelievably well, just sort of on the quiet. Okay, what about the timing then this year? Because we don't know when the RBA is going to, you know, end its tightenings. Well, we assume it's ended its tightening cycle, but we don't know when rates are going to go down uh, and and how do shares react if it takes longer, for example. I mean, you could just look and say, well, okay, if if we're right about where we're going to be at the end of the year, who really cares how long it takes to get there because we assume that you know that's going to be good news for some companies even better news for other companies like you know we were talking about retail with people have more discretionary spend because interest rates have gone down does it really matter whether that happens in you know in rates start to come down in april or june or august how important is the timing when you're looking at at the share market i I'm going to be really interested to see how it plays out, to be honest. Like there's obviously a rate cuts factor in where markets are at the moment, but it does seem to be more extremely skewed to the US and less so here. And you talk to the guys about this every day. So all of the listeners will have a view on Mm. this, I'm sure, which is, you know, if we're anticipating cuts later in the year, which is what we are anticipating, but cuts that will not be as aggressive as the US because we just simply didn't increase as hard as they did. We didn't go as early and we didn't go as hard. So we will have sort of less of a cut. And and by the way, we might not go back to where we were before as well. Well, we almost certainly won't go back to where we were. (laughs) Well, one would hope not back to 0.1 of a percent. I mean, that's cataclysmic disaster has happened for that to happen. Uh, And I think also central banks have learned the hard way that you do some weird things to asset prices when you do that. And we don't want to keep seeing that. There are social implications. So the biggest question always for Australians is the housing market partly because it puts so much pressure on the consumer. And the challenge we've seen over the last 12 months is that households with a mortgage have held up relatively well. We know that uh, delinquencies in mortgages and so on have been okay. And so for the financial sector, it's held up really well. And you're seeing CBA at all-time highs, which is incredible in this environment. And yet renters are really under pressure. And so anything that I think takes pressure off the rental market and that sector of consumers will be really positive for quite a meaningful proportion of 
the share market, anything in the discretionary space. Those guys are getting squeezed the hardest. And a lot of the data is really clear that retirees who own their own home have actually seen their their incomes increase quite dramatically. They don't pay much tax anyway, if at all. And so those guys are still spending really strongly. Households with a mortgage are under a lot of pressure, but renters are under even more pressure. They're under real stress. And so anything that kind of provides some relief in that space could be really beneficial. Well, and that brings us on to the property, you know, talking about the property market, what about developers? How are they going to do this year? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, there's so much question about how much costs have gone up for developers, Uh in terms of input costs, labor costs. So you've got labor costs, you've got uh, all of your actual, you know, purchasing costs, and then you've also got rates. So it's a difficult environment to be in. I mean, theoretically, the payoff should be fantastic because the demand is so high, but there's a lot of developers who have gone under because they were using fixed price contact contracts and so on. So it's a really difficult one. If you're looking at the share market, I think REITs are still a super interesting space. There are those who are saying all the bad news is priced in, particularly in the office space that, you know, we've seen the worst of uh, of return to office and things are only going to get better from here. And we've got others who are saying, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, you know, we've seen a real structural shift in terms of that sort of thing. And so that's for sort of existing property and where the prices currently sit and what kind of yield they can give you. But I think it's one of the more interesting sectors. If you get it right, you could do really well. Right. Okay. Any bold assertions then before we go? It's been great talking to you again, Gemma. We'll have to do it again fairly shortly. <laughs> but any bold assumptions or assertions you want to make? I mean, you can be, you know, we won't hold you to it, but I mean, anything you can think might be a surprise over the next next quarter or the next six months. <laughs> We've got Australian reporting season coming up very shortly, so that will be super interesting. Uh, yeah. Only one of the big four banks will be reporting and they always give us a lot of interesting data. Look, the only comment I would make that I think has a good amount of data to support it is, as I said, the Russell 2000 is still in a bear market while you've got the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ and the Dow close to record highs or making them regularly. You would expect to see that bottom 20% of the market catch up. So you would expect, I think, to see a bounce in that sector of the market. And we're not, a, in the US anyway, we're not seeing a lot of interest in it, which I find really interesting. So I'd like to see more interest there, people trying to find the companies that are going to kind of right. pull through behind the big leaders. So a greater diversification of, of companies that are doing well. And, and that, I mean, you'd assume that that would Wouldn't be- Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, well, it would. <laughs> Just, just for those people I'll working talk about for those Nvidia businesses. Every night. <laughs> all right. Well, well, let's see how it all turns out. Good to talk, Gemma. Always good to talk to you too. And you might think that Gemma's just sounding so happy because it's a long weekend, but you know, no, I think she's always like that. Uh, look, uh, we are back on Monday morning with another edition of the morning call, the uh, the weekday edition, and next week the weekend edition. Uh, that Australian obsession. We're talking house prices and housing demand with Eliza Owen from CoreLogic. Back on the weekend edition next week. The latest from them. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thank Thanks for listening today. The Weekend Edition.